We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey everyone, it's Lindsay Rhodes and I've got a new podcast, The NFL Road Show fun and kind of nerdy conversation about the NFL every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I've got some amazing guests that are joining me. I'll be breaking the huddle with the top stories, previewing games. We'll get you set for the weekend fantasy with our Fantasy Friday episodes, and we'll answer some of your questions as well. So subscribe to the NFL Roadshow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host, Nick Filato. Tonight, we're here to break down our immediate takeaways and reaction to the Giants. I don't even know the score. 20-6 to loss to the Cleveland Browns. Lost track of this score. It was over for the second straight week. Two straight uncompetitive games in the second by the second half. Nick, how are you feeling right now? I don't feel well. <laughs> I don't really feel that great, to be honest. New York Giants, primetime television. This game got flexed in. I try to keep things in perspective. This wasn't a healthy Daniel Jones. This was Colt McCoy. I try to rationalize things that way. But when you're in a playoff push in a really crappy division, when Washington lost, when Dallas won, but then you also had the Eagles lose, and you see what Jalen Hurts just did against that team, against the defense the Giants just faced and got annihilated against. And you look at the Giants' effort on primetime, and you don't, you just don't come away feeling great, Dan. You really don't. That's a really good point, actually, that you just made about how well the Eagles moved the ball against the same Cardinals team that the Giants played last week, and that was in Giants Stadium. That uh, The Eagles moved the ball in on the road against the Cardinals. Obviously, games are different now with COVID whatnot, but Hurts threw for 330, I believe, and ran for a bunch of yards as well, and that game had no issue moving the ball. I actually thought Hurts looked really well, played really well, um, and that was scary to see, I'll be honest with you, but you know, 
I want to keep it in perspective, and I should keep in perspective that Colt McCoy was starting this game, but that is the decision that this regime made, that he would be the backup quarterback. And they made that decision knowing full well that the quarterback that they drafted to be their franchise guy got injured in his rookie year and had, was injured, had multiple injuries at Duke. So you made that decision knowing you might have to play this guy. And Colt McCoy was horrendous tonight, in my opinion. Yeah, he made a couple good throws at a couple good occasions, but the ball came out of his hands terribly. It floated out of his hands. He couldn't stretch the ball vertically at all. He had a cut one nice back shoulder to Shepard. He was late, and it wasn't late. He floated a ball out to Ingram that should have been a touchdown. It should have led to the pylon. The out routes were terrible. They floated in the air. The ball did not come out clean from his hand consistently. He's not somebody who should be starting in the NFL. I asked you this, Nick, and I'll ask you this again. Is it possible that Colt McCoy is the worst backup quarterback in the NFL right now? I would have to break down every other backup sure. quarterback, to be fair. But we went through list. some teams, yeah. and we found it hard to find a worse backup quarterback right now. The Browns actually might have one of them, Case Keenum, but I would take Case Keenum in a heartbeat over Colt McCoy. So at least Case Keenum can can move the pocket a little bit. He could sling it, too. And he has a little bit better of an arm than Colt McCoy. Colt McCoy's arm at this point is completely shot at 34 years old. This was a very bad decision by this by this regime to bring him as their number two. A decision I'm, very, I'm not happy with. And they made that decision with the hopes that Daniel Jones wouldn't get injured. Of course, you yeah. always hope that your starter's not going to go down. It was all it was all from a, hey, he can help Daniel Jones develop in his second here in this Jason Garrett offense. But that scares me more, Nick, because mm. you can't make decisions like that. You need to understand the value and importance of the quarterback position, how much it plays a role on wins and losses in this league, and you need to put... You need to put forth finding talent at that position more so than trying to find a mentor for your starting quarterback. You need to have talent at one, two, three, maybe not three. It's hard to find three talented quarterbacks, three capable quarterbacks, I should say. But your second quarterback should be more capable than what Colt McCoy did. And in back-to-back weeks, and I get, and Colt McCoy did not start last week, but Jones played that most of that game. But Jones obviously wasn't looking like himself. But either way. He still didn't really play that well, even from the times where he was in the pocket. He had some missed reads. He had some missed throws. Right now, this Giants team has put together two straight uncompetitive games in must-win situations, and it's I'm finding it hard to get excited about the incremental gains they made during that four-game winning streak, and I'm wondering, was it fool's gold? Was it a situation where, if we really break it down, one of those wins was against a Cincinnati team with Brandon Allen? Two of those wins were against the Eagles before they moved to Jalen Hurts and the Washington football team, a team that the Giants have beaten over and over for four straight years and seem to have their number. And then one was a great win against Seattle, where a lot of things went their way. But I don't I think Giants fans are capping their ceiling if they think this is good and if they think this is okay. Especially when you look at things like in that twenty eighteen draft, the Browns and the Colts were picking within three picks of the or four picks total of the Giants. And you look at where those teams are at right now and where they were at in 2018 and where the Giants are at in 2018 and where the Giants are at now, and it's just no comparison right now. Their teams had in a completely different trajectory. Even if the Giants squeaked out the NFC East, and they still may because this division is such a joke, there's still not any team looking anywhere close both now or in the future to where those two teams are looking. And I'm wondering how you can move forward with the status quo. I just It doesn't add up to me. It really does not. I don't feel like you just fire for fire's sake. Joe Judge needs to be involved in this decision because this is Joe Judge's football team right now. And I think when we look at the Giants in this four-game run where they won four games against kind of mediocre teams and then the Seattle Seahawks, look, this is a young team. 
I think it's exciting that they're a young team and they were coming together and the defense was playing hard and they seemed to really play really hard for this coaching staff, but if they were in any other division, they wouldn't be considered to be in the playoffs. The only reason they are is because they're in the NFC East. And in the beginning of the year, Giants fans were so jaded because they lost so many close games that the fact that there was even a chance to make the playoffs kind of gave Giants fans a lot of hope. I don't think the Giants are necessarily a good football team. I think they're just a young team who got hot at a point where it was exciting and they miraculously still could make the playoffs. I think that's absolutely ridiculous, but let's not fool ourselves. If they were in the AFC East, they wouldn't even be in the conversation. Yeah, I think you're right. And I don't think that it's me. Some people might interpret this as me, you know, a schadenfreude, as they would say in, uh, it's a, I, think, I don't know if that, it might be a Jewish word, a Yiddish word. I, no, it's a German word, schadenfreude. Well, schadenfreude is taking enjoyment in other people's misery. That's the definition of it. And I'm not taking enjoyment in this misery. It's the complete opposite. You guys have to understand something. Giants are a really good football team. Me and Nick, our lives get a lot better. You guys download more. We get brand new listeners that we never had. And everything's better. And I'm a fan, so I would love it to happen. But I am grounded in reality. And I do not want to move forward and provide a false sense of hope that I think a lot of these Giants content creators are providing and did provide during that win streak. I tried to stay grounded. They were playing good football for a stretch there. They were starting to win the line of scrimmage really consistently. And they were starting to put together these just really dominant defensive game plans despite really not having many pieces. There's still so many missing pieces that Patrick Graham was handed. I mean, he still has down to his fourth edge. He has no talent at edge. Tonight, he had nothing at corner. And... You know, the safeties are still young. Besides Peppers, you know, McKinney didn't get to play a lot this season, so he's probably still working himself, and we are not can't consider him too much of a plus player yet. And they got Blake, which is great, but then you also have guys like Devontae Downs who look completely lost in his own coverage in the end zone and give up a touchdown. And no concept of feeling routes out. And has no concept of feeling routes out. So ultimately, you have to peel this thing back, and you have to look at the roster because in the end, the coaching is very important and we do agree, like what OC said. I mean, part of the reason I'm feeling so bad tonight is because we have to bury that OCU and Europe podcast, my proudest moment since starting the Big Blue Bender podcast, with a reaction to a Giants' pathetic, inept performance in a must-win game against the Browns. And you can make up every excuse you want in the book. No Bradbury. No Jones. But that's a, but that, that excuse, none of those excuses bury the fact that this is still the roster. This is still the QB2. This is still the cornerback two that Dave Gettleman and his regime have put on the field. You need to have depth in this league. Injuries will happen. The Giants are nowhere close to the most injured team in the NFL, and I don't even think they're in the top 10. So that's no excuse to me whatsoever. So I look back and I peel this thing back, and I'm trying to figure out how this team can get competitive again fast. Or if that's even the best route. I, I'm at almost a loss for what they should do and how they can do it. And I agree with you. You don't fire people to fire people. But I also agree you don't just hold people to hold people. It's your job as an owner of this franchise, an iconic franchise that has a lot of money, that is not afraid to spend to the cap, that is not afraid to spend on coaches and never has been, to go out there, conduct a good search, and find the right guy to lead this team. That's your job. That's on them, and they need to figure that out. And they can't just, if you roll into it, how many years can they give this guy? This guy has been gifted the number two overall pick, number 34 as well. He's been gifted three first-rounders in one draft, 2019, and now he had another top-four pick last draft. I just don't understand what more he can be given. It hasn't worked whatsoever, but to go back to the cornerback two thing, to make, I guess you could say, excuses, or just to be fair, Sam Beal and DeAndre Baker were both somewhat 
anomalies just because, I mean, obviously COVID, people are going to end up opting out. Sam Beal decided to. Who knows if Sam Beal would ever turn into a player, but he was a draft asset that Dave Gettleman invested in. And then the DeAndre Baker situation was just anomalous in and of itself because who would have thought that was going to happen? But I do understand where you're coming from. You have that much draft capital. You spend a lot of it on one side of the ball, and that side of the ball does not perform. And this is a win-now league. This isn't you're just going to keep waiting. Yes, there are rebuilds. I understand that. But this is going to be going into year four now. There has to be questions. I think what you pose, Dan, is fair. There has to be questions. And I think the Maras and the Tishes are going to be forced to make a decision. The only thing I say is I'm just not on board of just fire him, fire everybody. That's just not kind of my mentality. I do think it's, a t- it's going to be an organizational decision. And I think Joe Judge, whoever you're going to bring in, needs to be somebody that Joe Judge sees eye to eye with. I believe he has that with Dave Gettleman now. And I feel like that is very important. I just feel continuity is incredibly important. Yeah, I think there's a lot. I mean, you can make excuses for everything in this league. I think, like you said, we'll peel that one back first, the Beal and the Baker thing. There's also a devil's advocate to that, though. And I agree those excuses are valid, but I do think a lot of teams have a lot of excuses for a lot of different things. Absolutely. How about the Patriots? They lost a lot of guys to COVID opt-outs. That defense is still performing pretty well in spite of it. And in spite of an offense that, again, like the Giants, doesn't move the ball whatsoever. <laughs> it doesn't do anything. It's incredible. Just like the Giants. But somehow more than the Giants because the Giants are somehow 31st in the NFL. Yeah, but if, you, if you've seen the Patriots the last couple of games, a healthy Daniel Jones is much more effective than whatever the hell they're doing the last couple of games. On paper, you know, on paper and to to our eye test, sure, but not statistically speaking. The Giants are the only the only team worse than the Giants on offense is the Jets, who don't yeah. even count. That's an offense. aggregate of the whole year, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just mean over the last couple of weeks? Yeah, yeah. Sure. I mean, that one game against Seattle alone, when Seattle's defense was terrible, Julian Edelman himself had like 170 receiving yards yeah. or something ridiculous. But back to the devil's advocate for the cornerback stuff. The devil's advocate side of that is that. Beal was not performing well. Sure, Dave Gettleman was the only idiot to use a third-round supplemental pick that no one else used on him. But that doesn't make it somebody who was going to magically get good in his third year because he was not good for the Giants, and he was Always very injured. injured, and he had a slight frame. And his slight frame was gave him problems in college staying on the field, and it gave him problems in the NFL staying on the field. Baker, we had some hopes for him because he was a first-round pick and he dominated SEC play, but he was bad in his rookie season. He was no guarantee to come in and lock down by any means so there's always devil's advocate to the other side of it and to the flip side of it with the dg judge stuff i don't know if you've seen some stuff i haven't seen i haven't totally read as much as you have i guess or seen as much as you have on the like judge and gettleman or have this great relationship and they're doing all these things together and they see eye to eye on all that things i actually hadn't seen much of that i know you mentioned it at times i mentioned it just off of what i see through the draft i'm not mentioning it through anything that i necessarily have just read. because he's drafting players you think fit yes. what judge wants to do yes i think a lot of gms can get those type of guys and jerry, i think jerry reese and, and tom call sure, definitely, definitely struggled with that down yes. the stretch that was that's something that might not be publicly known but like a lot of people around the giants organization know that that was a, a huge issue with the last regime sure and i'm not saying that doesn't have value but I'm saying you can probably, I would hope you can find that while also finding someone who knows how to run a football team. And I do not think Dave Gettleman knows how to run a football team correctly. I think he can get lucky on some evaluations occasionally, but he's demonstrated time after time, both in the 2018 and 29 draft. In 2018, he took a running back at number two, didn't trade the pick, and then took a guard at 34 who was playing 16 snaps a game at, and this is in year three. In 2019, he did something that you should never do. And we had the discussion earlier. You said, 
going into this offseason, I don't want to just take a quarterback to take a quarterback. And you're 100% right, Nick. No team should ever just take a quarterback to take a quarterback. But in my mind, in a, in a lot of ways, and no one will ever convince me of otherwise, because this is not something I can hear the bullshit talk by, you know, Giants media or coach speak or management speak or sources, quote unquote, aren't going to convince me otherwise. He took Daniel Jones at six overall in the 29th draft because he felt like the Giants needed a quarterback. And he even said, I want to go off and retire into the side set knowing I got my guy franchise quarterback for the Giants. So he looked at that draft class and he said, we're getting a franchise guy out of this class. Went to the senior bowl, started to interview Jones, started to work him out, fell in love with him. But he went into that entire class and that process with the idea of finding a franchise quarterback for the Giants, which is not the right way to play this thing. And it goes into what you said earlier. I agree with that for this offseason. I don't want the Giants to take a quarterback unless I think there's a quarterback worthy of taking. And that should have been the case in 2019. If Jones doesn't improve greatly in year three, that's another massive step back on the I think that's another part of uh, Gettleman, though, too. Gettleman is, and we've talked about this. He's a guy who sees somebody he thinks he loves or he loves and then he falls, like he said after the senior bowl with Daniel Jones, full bloom love with that player. And I think he did that with Daniel Jones. I, I watched about seven of seven Duke games of Daniel Jones' senior year. And I came away with a second round grade. I thought he's somebody that can win in this league. I still feel that way, but I don't see that Justin Herbert level talent. He doesn't have that type of arm talent. I think he's a good deep ball thrower. I think he's shown improvements this season, but I don't think he's that kind of quarterback that can, like, obviously not like a Deshaun Watson that can put the team on his back and kind of just get wins because of him. I think he's somebody who can win in this league, but he's going to need a lot of things around him. And I think Dave Gettleman, I'm not 100% sure where he viewed him that way, but I do see where you're coming from. He wanted Justin Herbert in that draft. Justin Herbert ended up going back to school. So he was like, I'm going to go get my quarterback. But I also think it was because he did actually love Daniel Jones as well. It was, yeah, and you're 100% right. And I agree with you. I mean, we had a very similar evaluation. I had a, I had a mid-second on him. And after season one, after last year, I was much higher on him than my original pre-draft evaluation. And I thought I might have gotten this one wrong. After year two, I'm much lower on him. I don't like the progress he's made this year. I think, like, individually, when we break down the games on all 22, as, as, you know, and this is kind of goes into kind of just, like, the general bias you may have when you only follow one team. We can see the, the improvements and, they're, and even though they may be slight in reality, to us they look so big because we're evaluating him on such a on such a you know under such a microscope and we're looking at just daniel jones's tape we're not looking at all 32 tape week after week after week so that's one thing that worries me a little bit concerns me but back to what you said about gettleman he has always been a see him get him kind of gm he's done this with barkley he's done this with jones he's done this with hernandez who he said he had to hold the phone back from trading back into round one to get he's done it with christian mccaffrey and pl- pl- plenty of guys in his past tenure as gm but ultimately it's my assertion that this is bad business. This is not the way you should be managing a team. You should not be falling in love with guys because the draft is an imperfect process. And when you do fall in love with guys, you decide to take Daniel Jones over Josh Allen, the defensive end from Kentucky. You decide to make those decisions because you fell in love with him. And you're right. He did have Justin Herbert number one. I read from Charles Robinson, the first guy to call it, two weeks before the draft, and at the time, everyone on Giants Twitter made fun of him and said, you don't have any sources, you don't know shit, when he said the Giants have Daniel Jones number one on their draft board over Kyler Murray, and then he said the Giants had Justin Herbert number one, but he went back in the draft, and they had Herbert then Jones out of that entire class. I believe it, and that proves a bit of a flaw in their process, in my personal opinion, having Kyler Murray 
third out of those three is a little bit embarrassing to have Daniel Jones ranked ahead of Murray if that is true I'm not going to take it as a fact yet because it still is a report if that's true I find it a bit embarrassing and I find that a bit of a fireable offense I find taking Saquon Barkley number two a bit of a fireable offense and when you stack all these things the Barkley the Hernandez miss the Jones potentially having a cornerback at 31 who's out of the NFL and I get it like it's a little bit of bad luck at the same time vet him a little more meet with him before the thing then you meet with the guy and you know I don't know you, you just can't have that happen regardless and so all those things stacking up man I I have no case anymore I'm I'm done with it I don't think this is year four like you said earlier on this podcast Nick your main point that you said earlier is the main one that I'll just drop it off on and then we'll get into the game it's that teams can improve fast it doesn't have to be the super slow four-year process to become a team that wins 10 games for for god's sake and that's what they're asking if they bring back gettleman for a fourth year they're saying in his fourth chance at it we can maybe win 10 or 11 games i kind of do think that if this trajectory keeps going in the direction of just losing out in the rest of the season and then they end up losing to dallas the giants will end up probably looking to go in another direction that might stay in house i mean i feel like we've kind of rehashed this conversation several times over the last couple weeks and I think it's going to like I've said earlier I think Judge has to be in on this kind of decision and hopefully that they can replenish and rebuild quickly so 2021 can end up being a much more fun season and I actually kind of think they can to be honest I do think there are building blocks here I just think they, they need some key pieces to to help upgrade on those building blocks that's if they can retain some of these building blocks of course because free agency this year with the Giants possibly losing Leonard Williams Dalvin Thomas and Logan Ryan those are going to be some some big losses but if Daniel Jones progresses it's big if Saquon Barkley comes back hopefully that adds a spark I do think they need to add a playmaker at wide receiver for sure there's plenty in this draft and I, I, I like the direction of the defense, obviously. I think the offensive line is coming along. I don't think they're super far away from competing. I just think they're a very, very young, inexperienced team. Judge is definitely a young, inexperienced coach. We'll probably get into that in a little bit as well. I I think this, this NFL world, man, you know this, you've been around it for a while. Things can change quickly. Now, is Gettleman the guy to do it? That's the big question mark. I don't have a defined answer. His track record, as you have laid out, it's not necessarily great. I did not like the Saquon Barkley pick either. Love Saquon Barkley, thought he was an absolutely great kid. I don't think you can do that in that draft. I've said that plenty of times, especially when Sam Darnold was the consensus number one overall pick and Baker Mayfield went one and then Sam Darnold was sitting there and there was no investigation (laughs) on a possible trade you need to acquire assets draft like you said is an imperfect process so that's going to be something that Mayor and Tish are going to really have to go over like I said before on the podcast though if he's retained I'm not going to lose my mind if he's fired I'm not going to lose my mind just please let's have some damn continuity in this organization yeah, but I, and I think that's a fair take, though. I, you know, it's not about losing my mind. I, I mean, got you. I'm yeah. very emotional, but I just about wanting that. It sounds like I'm very being very emotional, but more so, it's just about wanting this team to move in the right direction so we can start to talk to you guys about a team that's winning. And it's like all the points you made, like in, they seem to me like such incremental gains. Like, yes, the team's starting to look a little bit better, but are they improving toward what are they improving toward a nine win team a 10 win team is that what we should be striving for a team that can win nine or ten games or do we want a team that could potentially improve toward winning a division or i'm sorry winning a conference 
and then maybe after that winning a Super Bowl. So that that's where the whole question of Daniel Jones comes. Is Daniel of Jones course. that guy to come into that too? And but I think it's still possible, just like you do, but it would require some ex- excellent, extraordinary management from the general manager. And I don't, for all you say, I don't give Dave Gellman credit where it's due. He had an amazing 2020 offseason. There, I said it right then there. I've said it the entire time, and I'm saying it again. He had an amazing 2020 offseason, but that's not enough. That's clearly not enough. They're uncompetitive in two straight games, and they have five wins. I also think the offense needs tweaks from a schematic standpoint, which I think we both agree sure. on as well. The offense could be better than 31st if there was better coaching. But it, it's not going to be top 10 this year with the, what they have out there. It's not going to be top 15. And yet the same GM used pick number two, pick number six, pick number four, and pick number 34 on offense. I don't. We need to take a step back. I'm going to have to re-say that. Two, four, six, thirty-four. Most teams haven't even had one of a one top six pick to use on their offense in the last five, in the last three years. Let's be fair. Two is off the board because we haven't had Saquon Barkley all season. But they were not good on offense the past two years with him. Well, what would they finish last? last year on offense it was better than what they are now whatever it was in pat Shermer's offense sure but they weren't a good i understand offense where, i understand where you, i understand where you're coming from they weren't from winning now. games because of their offense last year they weren't winning games because of their offense in 2018 last year and they're the big, certainly not winning games because of their offense this year yeah, last year the big story of the team though was absolutely the defense blowing a bunch of leads and the defense sure. just blowing a bunch of coverages is more not what leads, i should say yeah, coverage yeah, is yeah, more sure. what i should say and Daniel Jones just being a rookie as well and kind of getting his feet wet with the uh, NFL speed and everything. Yeah, no, you're 100% right. Um, Obviously, the offense was better last year, but there's a lot of investments that have been made. I don't think people, I think people need to take a step back and really consider just how, what that capital really means and how rare it is and how few teams have had invested that much capital on offense over the last three drafts Mm -hmm. and what they're getting out of it this year, because it's not much. It's really not much. Um, But on that note, we're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors, and we're going to dive into a little bit of what happened in this actual game, some things we liked, some things we didn't like. Maybe we'll wrap it up with some more discussion on this team, because guess what? That's where this podcast is headed pretty (laughs) soon, because this season is, is on the brink. It's on the brink, and if they play anything like they played these past two games, it doesn't matter who's at quarterback, McCoy or Jones. They're not winning football games. 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly, so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time. And there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire, all one word. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire, all one word. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Football is back in full swing, and you might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. 
from game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, divisions, and championship futures all day or every day. Head to BetOnline online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, Nick, let's talk a little bit about this loss, uh, this 20-6 loss. Some things we liked, some things we didn't like. I'm going to start with something I actually liked. I thought Freddie Kitchens came out with a really inspired game plan, some vertical shots, passing more, more so something I'm just not used to seeing from this Giants team, which is passing on obvious rundowns. Now, I liked what I saw in the first half. I thought some of it was overshadowed by Colt McCoy just blatantly making a bad throw to Evan Ingram, underthrowing him, and not putting enough zip on a ball that should have been led to the back pylon. Could have changed this game. A lot of people want to bash the coaching for some of the decisions. We'll get into that later. I think it's independent. But I thought his game plan got a little too conservative in the second half. I don't know why. That first drive where they moved the ball to the 50, and then they ran, ran, got into third and 13, and then punted on a fourth and six. That that was bad. But I did think overall, the route combinations that I saw from the broadcast angle and just the overall ability and decisions to pass on some obvious rundowns was a little bit refreshing what did you feel about that i think refreshing is a really good word to be honest there was the one sideline route where it looked like he was breaking his stem inside i think it was sterling Shepard, and yeah. then he went outside and it kind of fooled the zone coverage and cole mcgoy threw actually a nice pass to sterling Shepard picked up a nice chunk of yardage there were a couple plays like that there were a couple vertical not even just vertical slots the other types of vertical throws and just I think there was even like far hash throws to the sideline where I was like, okay, Colt McCoy. But like you said, there were a lot of McCoy just kind of soft arming a couple balls that were really low, putting the receivers in some really bad spots to catch the football. And by the end of the game, the receivers seemed very lethargic. They seemed out of it. Darius Slayton's getting hit in the, right in the chest with the ball and just not hanging on to it. He's looked like crap the last couple of games. I think that whole argument is Darius Slayton, a wide receiver one. I think that's just kaput and it's done. But I think I would have to agree with you, though. I I did like what Freddie Kitchens was doing early on. I thought they were able to establish the run at an okay level. They just couldn't do it enough, and they couldn't really make enough explosive plays, kind of the stories of this Giants offense, to really take take a lead. And then, obviously, uh, with Joe Judge and, and the play calling, I'm not necessarily I, I don't hate it. The the the, the going for the going for it because you know what Baker Mayfield has been doing the last couple weeks he's been red hot and you need to kind of keep pace with a team that's coming off two straight 40 point performances you need to score points so I don't really hate it I just don't like the the, the play call really the, the Riley Dixon trying to throw a touchdown pass the Nick Gates like you're trying to outthink yourself that was definitely a little concerning and then I did I appreciated them going for it with Wayne Gallman it just they were running the ball effectively at that point didn't work and it just that's like a 14 point could have been a 14 point swing but let's not kid ourselves again I know that would have looked cool but then the Cleveland would have stepped on the accelerator in the second half they would have put more points on because they could do whatever they want against our defense which is something that we're not used to saying and we'll get to why that was a possibility in a little bit, why Cleveland was able to do a lot against the Giants defense. But I do want to touch on what you broke on to second, which is the decision-making there, the coaching decision-making, the idea first to go for it, that fake punt inside the, or I'm sorry, that fake field goal pass, and then later on to go for the fourth and two. I will never sit here and tell you, some Giants, some Giants podcasts and some Giants analysis I bet would do this. They'd double back and they'd be like, they should have taken me, if, if they're me right now. They'd be like, they should have taken the three both times. They would have had six points. It's that type of game. You guys know me. You know I'm all about the aggression. You know how I would like to coach this team. So I was for both calls. 
I'm with Nick. The first call was a little odd to me because it seems like if you're going to have that play call, it seems like something that should never not work because you're using it once in a blue moon, once a season. It's so specific and so niche to have a play design for Riley Dixon to throw the ball to Nick Gates that you should know based on what you've seen on the Brown special teams tape and with their field goal units that you're going to get the open pass there. When that turns into a contested ball or that turns to a situation where Riley Dixon isn't able to, to put the ball with good ball placement, that's something that you should have either seen in your practices or you should have known they might adjust to based on the tape for them so that was my issue with that love the call don't like the execution the runway and gallman again love the call would have hated a field goal there i am never i'm never of the you take a field goal when you're inside the opponent's 10 worst case they have to go 95 yards which unfortunately the browns are able to do a lot of in this game but that's usually your worst case scenario and it, and it ultimately a lot of times ends up in a punt that puts you right back in the field goal position anyway especially if you have a kicker like Gano who can kick from 50 and can connect from 50 so I was fine with that decision the execution just wasn't there Sheldon Richardson made a great play on that and in general you know it was just a it's a tough play they didn't execute on those calls but I was fine with that the one call I was not fine with well there were multiple more towards the end of the game but the first call I was not fine with was the decision to punt the ball at that stage of the game down I believe it was was it 13-3 at that point what was the point where it was fourth and six after they ran ran the ball twice for negative three and then put themselves in a third and 13 connected on a play they connected on a play that got them into a fourth and six situation again in opponent's territory they were at the Cleveland 44 fourth and four sorry even less yards to gain at that stage of the game down 13 to 3 you need to take the momentum back you need to take a chance you need to understand in my mind at least that the worst case scenario is the opponent takes over at their own 44 the best case scenario is you move the ball you take more time off the clock you keep your defense off the field and you get either seven you get seven points the second best case scenario is you do all of that and you get three points the scenario that ended up playing out is the giants pinned them they had a solid punt but then the Browns went 95 yards, scored a touchdown, milked the clock, and put this game out of reach for good. So I wasn't a fan of that. I wasn't a fan of the decision to punt 4th and 10 from their own 40, down 20-3 to three, with 10 minutes left in the game. I saw no value to that at all. I do not believe in the idea of trying to make the score look less embarrassing. I think that's an embarrassing decision. I think it's embarrassing in itself to try to make the score look less embarrassing. You gain nothing tangible from losing 26-6 to six versus 48-6. to six. So... Those decisions will haunt me. They always do. It seems like I have had four or five of these with Judge a year so far this year. But I, I'm curious if you felt differently on those. I felt the same way about the first punt. I think in that situation when your defense just held them on four plays, a four-play drive forced a punt, and now this is your first offensive drive, I can see where Judge was like, oh, our defense just played well, so let's put them back out there. Maybe they'll do it again. But I think in, with a team that you kind of know is far superior than you and it's only four yards you need to get, I would actually prefer them to be a bit more aggressive, something they showed in the first half, didn't work out for them, but kind of keep that up throughout the game because it's a 10-point game there. Yeah. You punt the ball away with your defense. I know the last drive they were good, but the entire first half they were just giving chunk plays up and chunk plays up and you really didn't have an answer for it whatsoever. So that's definitely a punt I agreed with. And then the second punt, it's kind of those, like you said, a forfeit punt. You're down 20 to three. So you might as well just go for it. And then like we saw Kevin Stefanski take his, take his foot off the pedal this entire game. I think, I think at that point, 
maybe that maybe this is the reason why Dan he took it because he's like all right they're punting the football they're basically conceding but you don't want that either and I love Joe Judge don't get me wrong and I, I do like the fact that he showed some aggressiveness in this game but I, I do end up agreeing with you on this one yeah I think I think it's interesting I, I still like Judge I still have some hope for him long term I'm not as sold on him as others obviously we've gone over that but you know I do think what you said is true I mean Maybe Kevin Skancy did take his foot off the gas a little bit because he saw that, and I don't think that's a good look either. That's almost no. a worse look than losing by an extra seven points that no one cares about in the long run and matters n- nil to any kind of long-term implications or anything tangible. Um, but let's talk a little bit about this. what you mentioned there, something you said within that, and it's that the Browns did have their way with the Giants' defense from an offensive standpoint. I thought the Browns had an excellent offensive play, uh, offensive plan of attack and play calling from Kevin Stefanski. On obvious rundowns, they threw the ball. They peppered the Giants with play action passing. This is what good coordinators do. A lot of play action and a lot of passing out of obvious rundowns and heavy run personnel. And that's what the Browns did to find yardage. But having said that, it seemed like they had every answer for the Giants zone that had been so successful all season. In your mind, was this kind of performance a direct result of losing James Bradbury for this game to the COVID list, or are there deeper, bigger issues that played a role in this? I would have to see the tape, but I do think there's probably deeper, bigger issues, and it's issues we brought up on the podcast. There are ways that you can take advantage of this cover three zone that they love to run, and it also seemed like the Giants were playing off zone, like seven, eight-yard cushions against these receivers, and none of these receivers are really burners. So it was something, I think it's more of an indictment on the Giants' cornerbacks, like their speed more so than and they just had to show respect more so than it's like them playing somebody like Tyreek Hill or something like that seemed like they were just clearing out the safety getting rid of whoever was playing safety with like the number two receiver then had the number one receiver breaking inside and that's why you always saw Rashard Higgins or Donovan Peoples-Jones on like a 25 yard dig route breaking inside and there was no safety around usually we see those safeties so I think it was just excellent route combinations and concepts from Kevin Stefanski to take advantage of the Giants secondary and losing Bradbury obviously is huge but I don't think that's the main reason or the only reason because you can scheme around Bradbury he's on the left side okay we're gonna attack the right side and then you utilize route concepts that direction but in saying that the Giants do a lot of cool stuff with their safety towards Isaac Yadam's side traditionally anyways now you have Yadam out there and Julian Love playing cornerback and you need to kind of do cool stuff to both those sides because you can't rely on James Bradbury's skill set so from a scheme standpoint, there definitely was a loss, but you can't blame it 100% on that because the Browns literally had their way with the zone. Yeah, and I would never be trying to, you know, obviously neither of us would blame this 100% yeah. on the on the coaching because guess what Patrick Graham had to deal with for this one? No Bradbury. His cornerbacks were Isaac Yidem. They had to move Julian Love to corner basically for parts of this game because of how lack of depth they had. A guy who's been converted to safety since he entered the NFL. And you, you have to realize, yes, he's played corner in the past. That's all well and good. But this guy, his entire, basically his entire time with the 2020 Giants has been running safety drills and playing safety. And at, 2019. Yeah. And yes. Who's doing his EDDs, his everyday drills in practice yes. as a safety, not as a corner. So in Graham's defense, he has not played corner. In the NFL, he has really not played corner. I know he played slot a little bit last year. So you got to just think this guy's not fresh especially in this specific system so you could tell that baker mayfield was attacking him and it's not necessarily even an indictment on julian love he's no. put into a really tough spot there exactly that's a great point people don't always consider 
what it's like for someone like Love to be, and especially when you consider not only, like you said, the everyday drills that he's been taking at safety now, being asked to be a cornerback, in this specific system that's using so much zone and that requires so much communication back there, he's now playing a completely different role in a completely different position. And that's not it. I mean, you saw plays where Devontae Downs was on the field for too much. The line, the second level isn't what it needs to be. They still need another guy there. In my mind, Crowder is, is an interesting player. He's fast. He has bright, bright moments for sure. There's things to like about him. But let's not make him any mistake of it and call him the next Blake Martinez or anything like that. He's not at that level yet. And you know, you look across the league, you, I'm sorry, you look across the defense, and one of the big issues I saw in this game, and it was a big issue last game against Arizona, and it wasn't a big issue against Seattle because Seattle's offensive line is so bad, and it's when this defense doesn't get pressure with that front four, and at this point, when we say that, it's basically just either Dex, BJ, Dalvin occasionally, or Leonard Williams, because these edges aren't getting much pressure at this point, and so when they, and they don't even have any edges left. Carter Coffins dislocated his pinky or whatever it was. He was out for some snaps. They're down to like edge number four. They have not invested well there. They they got unlucky there with some injuries, they're, and they're down to an edge who is undrafted from freaking Dartmouth. Like how yeah. crazy is that? And I like Lelos. He seems like a nice guy. Sure, but he's not somebody who should <laughs> exactly. be playing edge at the NFL level. Exactly. And the other guy who's playing 45 snaps a game, let's be honest, he was a six-round pick, and he has short arms, and he really was drafted that late for a reason, most likely. I mean, we like him. We think he's a decent player for this system. He's a good fit. But let's not kid ourselves here. And so when this defense seems to not get pressure with that front four, it seems like Graham scheme is a little bit susceptible depending on who they're playing depending on the play caller because again the Giants seem to do well with these binary play callers who seem to run on obvious rundowns and pass on obvious pass downs when you get a coordinator like this Stefanski whose idea is to make you think he's going to run the ball and just he's just going to have a game plan like this one where he just came out firing they threw the ball a ton of times they threw the ball and ended up with only 32 attempts because they didn't need to throw the ball at all in the second half because the game was over but he went 27 of 32 Baker Mayfield 27 of 32 after averaging over nine yards of completion and his play action numbers were through the roof he had one incomplete pass on play action passes so i think part of the issue is of course just this inability to get pressure when you only rush four that's what happens when you run zone coverage too yep. you need to get pressure with your four down linemen in zone coverage if you run a fire zone or something like that you bring extra pressure then you need to be able to kind of hope that Baker Mayfield or whoever the quarterback is isn't going to throw hot on whoever you blitz off the edge if it is a defensive back that is but when you don't get pressure with your four down linemen what do you expect your zone coverage to do they're going to find the voids right it's not even I mean it's you could say it's on the coverage at that point too but you're sitting back there for five six seconds I mean what the heck can the coverage even do that was even the crazy part it didn't even feel like a lot of these plays were five six seconds it seemed like he would drop he would hit that back foot and then like you said on those deep digs it was just open Without even, with that, with like, and those were like two to three second dropbacks only. It wasn't even like these long developing Baker's padding the ball. He's stepping in this long pocket. It seemed like they were just open off the bat, which is really odd. We'll have to see what happened there, I guess, on the film. But that was obviously, you know, a disappointing development. They, the Giants, for 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 everything they did, and this might have been part of the game plan. They did an excellent job stopping the run. Nick Chubb, only 50 yards on 15 carries. That's only 3.3 yard per average. Kareem Hunt, only 21 yards on seven carries. That's a three yard carry per average or three yard per carry average. Those are pedestrian numbers. So they did an excellent job there. Maybe they committed a little too much. Maybe it was the run. I don't know. We'll have to see the tape and see how they tried to scheme. But there did seem to be those just open holes on those deep digs in the zone. Yep. And it was just tearing the Giants up the entire game. It was hard to watch. And like Dan said earlier, uh, this isn't us bashing Patrick Graham. The guy was dealt a bad hand, and he was going up against a superior offense without his yeah. top 
player, his top playmaker at least, you could say, in James Bradbury, somebody who would have helped eliminate half the field from from Baker Mayfield, would have made the scheme probably a little bit better, a little bit more flexible. Yeah, good point. And remember, this isn't your normal Browns. This isn't the 2019 Browns, 2018 Browns, any year Browns. This is a Browns team that scored 100 points in the last more than 100 points in the last three weeks. I'm not. I'm still not even sure if the Giants have scored 100 points all season, Nick. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. You know, you have to think about that for a second, and that's the sad part, and that's the truly sad part. They've definitely scored. Uh, I don't even know this for sure, but I can only hope they've scored third uh, more than 100 points this season. Took a break in the podcast, ladies and gentlemen. We had to do the math. Obviously, Dan <laughs> was being a little bit hyperbolic there when he was saying that it was over 100, but we, we had to guess, and my yeah. guess was 224. Dan, what was your guess? I was guessing 215, and we were happy and pleased to find out the Giants have actually scored 244 points this season. So not quite 103 games, 100 plus in three games like the Browns, but not as bad as we thought. And we were just joking around, but it is a good example of why we shouldn't panic about Patrick Graham's defense right now without James Bradbury and with all the other injuries that he's had to overcome. Because this Browns offense is real. This is a legit offense. They may not look it, they may not seem it with Baker Mayfield and without Odell Beckham, without all the flash, but they have the, arguably the best offensive line in the entire NFL, and they have one of the best, if not best, play callers, in my mind, in the entire NFL. So again, to hold them to 20 points is actually not bad, even though, like Nick said, it, it, it did seem part of that was because Kevin's fancy kind of took his foot off the gas. He definitely did. I mean, we barely saw Nick Chubb down the stretch of the yeah. game. Kareem Hunt, I think, ended up leaving the game a little shaken up. So they were just like, all right, we're not going to put Chubb in there either. We'll just put Dearness Johnson and just kind of run the football the rest of the game. And that's exactly what they ended up doing. Yeah, unfortunately. But listen, this is life right now for the Giants. Hopefully they can get out of this. Nick, is there anything else specifically about this game that you wanted to touch on? I know we've talked a lot on this podcast about overarching issues for the Giants and kind of how this franchise is moving going forward. There might be even more on that, but I'm I'm kind of for me, I until I see the tape, there's not much more I can say on this game. It was a very short game. It moved fast. It was over before we knew it and the Giants were out of the game themselves early in this second half. So I don't think there's anything more specific on the offense I want to talk about. You touched on Slayton, his disappointment. Obviously, the drop was big. He did get open on a nice vertical early. Like you said, though, it, it's starting to look like he may, may not evolve into that wide receiver one we had hoped for last year. There was a lot of promise. Mm-hmm. I still think part of it is this is not a good offense for him or any receiver. Yeah, I think there's some merit to that. Uh-huh. Did you see uh, Evan Ingram doing his gator chop? I swear that guy, I know he went to Ole Miss, but he might as well be a Florida gator dude. He <laughs> literally... When he tries to catch the football. Very awkward. It's not, it is pretty awkward. It's like a reverse gator thing. I don't yeah. know. And obviously he didn't have any kind of massive game. You'd think like if these guys are becoming what you would hope they would become, Evan Ingram, a guy who was selected in the 2017 first round of the draft, he might be able to overcome mediocre to poor quarterback play just because he's such a playmaker. You can find ways to get him, but he doesn't take over a game like this. You know, No one on this offense really did a good job of taking over the game for the Giants to give them a chance to win which is what they ultimately needed. You can't win with six points in this league. And for those of you who said they should have kicked the field goal, they wouldn't have won this game with two field goals there. They would have put 12 points up on the board. The Browns, without even putting their foot on the gas, like Nick said, scored 20 in this game. So ultimately, you need plays that result in touchdowns. Right now, the Giants are not getting them. I think this offense, unfortunately, might need to be retooled, which to me is completely unacceptable when you invest number two, number four, Number six, that would be enough. Even you could cut me off at number two and four, and I think it'd be unacceptable. When you also add number six overall, that's three top six draft picks. Some teams would kill for that kind of capital. And the 34th overall, Will Hernandez. 
you shouldn't be looking to completely have to rebuild your offense in an offseason that's currently ranked 31st in the NFL in scoring and 20-plus plays. But that may be where they're at, and there will be a big discussion that me and Nick are going to have this offseason about what the hell to do with this roster because there's so much that needs to be done. It's Absolutely. not one need away. Absolutely. And if there's another thing I have to say about sure. this defense, it's, I don't know, we, we might have to put to bed that argument like, oh, you don't really need a true pass rusher. Because against these better offensive lines, and this offensive right. line was beat up. I mean, J.C. Treader was a little hurt. Wyatt Teller didn't play. Chris Hubbard ended up just going down. And they did not have a true edge rusher. I think you kind of need a true edge rusher. And yes, you can point to the New England Patriots, but the New England Patriots had really good players like Kyle Van Noy and players like that, and they utilized them in a, in, a, in just a cor- very correct way. And they're like to use the word again, they're the anomaly. <laughs> like you want to be that, but that's hard to attain. So I mean, I really think somebody like a Chase Young would be excellent on this roster. Those guys don't grow on trees, but I think you do need to add somebody who has like a healthy Lorenzo Carter, <laughs> if we're going to be real. Maybe even a healthy O'Shane. He hasn't really proven it quite yet, but. I think you definitely need to upgrade the juice at that position. Especially if they're going to run this much zone. I agree with you for sure. I guess it kind of depends where they go with the roster. I think ultimately at this point, it could go... I think you make a good point, and that's something that goes into our whole discussion that we've had multiple times on this podcast, and it's a good football discussion in general right now, whether it be on the Big Blue Banter podcast or other you know, football podcasts you might listen to or you know anything you might read. It's pass rush versus pass coverage what's more important because... The Patriots may be an anomaly, but I also see it with teams like the Baltimore Ravens, and even to some extent, not not as much so, but the Rams, because they do have Aaron Donald. I kind of disagree with the Baltimore Ravens one. Because who would be their big edge right I would now? say Miami would be one. Miami's I mean, another one, but yeah. who would be the big edge for— I mean, Yannick and then Matt Judon. But they are, just got Yannick. Uh, Judon's a good player. Matt Judon's a good player, and I mean, you have guys like Clay Campbell who, who are a bit older, and I feel like we're forgetting— another a pretty solid edge rusher that yeah, they've Bowser, had. who's okay. Yeah, but like, Bowser. I mean, I think with Miami and with Baltimore, while the, so that might be true, and I would have to do more digging on that. Mm. What they do definitely have, though, all three of those teams, unless so the Patriots now, but Miami and Baltimore, is shut down corners across the board. Multiple. If you have them across the board, that's different because exactly. that allows you to run a lot more man Exactly. Yeah. So I was going to say, if yes, they're the same team that just has a Bradbury back there and nothing really else at cornerback mm-hmm. on the boundary— I agree with you, pass rushers next, but I think there's another route, and that would be trying to find your second shutdown guy so you can start to play more men, you can start to do those things that, like you said, Miami and Baltimore does so well, mixing their coverages more, not having to rely so much on zone. If you if you think about Miami too, man, like they had Xavier Howard who was the highest paid, yes. and they topped that contract with Byron yes. uh, Byron Jones. And, and drafted and, a And then round. they drafted Noah Igbenogany out of Auburn. In the first round. Yes, in the first round. Like That is absolutely insane what they were able to do there. And their defense is playing excellent football. And I honestly, and they would, don't have a pass rusher. Who's their top edge? Probably um, the dude they signed this offseason who's been a bust. I'm for blanking on his name. Oh, Carl Lawson? Carl Lawson. Yeah, the kid from Buffalo. Yeah, and then they, they have guys like Van Noy who can right. also rush the passer, but they're more of traditional stand-up linebackers. Exactly. So it still can be achieved in multiple ways, I think. I agree. But it's <laughs> just like you said, the Chase Youngs don't grow on trees. Guess what? The boundary lockdown ones don't grow on trees either. They're really difficult to find. And then the Ravens end up with Jimmy Smith, Marlon Humphrey, and freaking Marcus Peters. Exactly. It's insane, man. Some of which they you know did a good job of. They traded for Marcus Peters on the low. That was a Patriots-esque move. Trade for him when his value is lower. Um but, you know, the Giants have swung in that direction, too. They used the first on Eli Apple and on DeAndre Baker, and it's kind of hurt their roster. So 
there's many different directions they can go still on defense, but I think both of you agree their closest path to improving again on defense side of the ball is either finding that edge, like you said, mm. or finding another lockdown corner so they can play more man and do different things. Yeah, and I love what they've been doing with their safeties, but I don't know if you're going to be able to retain Logan Ryan, yeah. and I do think losing him would is going to be huge for this defense in a negative It's going to hurt. It's definitely going to hurt. All right, that's all we got for tonight's show on the Recap Podcast. We will be back later this week with all 22 breakdowns maybe some more content for those of you who missed it last week we had a great time interviewing giants legend two-time super bowl champion oc human yora he spent some time with us talking about patrick graham the 2020 giants his time playing with the giants he had an awesome story reminiscing on that moment he knew eli manning was the guy and also reminiscing on some of what made him such an elite pass rusher his burst off the snap and there were a lot of great things that we thought we uncovered in the interview we enjoyed it We've had some great feedback on that. If you haven't listened to it and you want to check out our feed, it will be the show just below this one. As usual, if you want to help support the show, do us a favor, download this podcast. Don't just hit the listen button. Please hit the download button. Rate and subscribe. Leave us a review as well on iTunes. We love that. Actually, a friend of the show who runs another podcast, a competitor if you will, but they're good friends of the show, Talking Giants, recently informed me on Twitter by tweeting that his podcast has now reached number one in rating. So if you want to help us compete with Talking Giants and get us back over the hump, because he told me privately we were ahead of him and now he's jumped ahead. I think he's at 434 ratings. We're at 425 ratings. I did mention to Justin though, we still have a 4.9 of 5 for our average rating. I think he was at 4.8. So I'm still considering Big Blue Banter number one based on that metric and i will choose any metric i need to decide what ranks number one we don't have any new ratings to read off or any reviews i should say to read off the last one was from con mac and kwamezilla who we shouted out last podcast but if you want a small thing from our small token i guess you could call it a shout out drop us anything you want in those reviews if it's a question we'll answer it anything you got to do and as usual follow us on instagram my big boo bender if you haven't already followed us there check out my big bender that account is growing Sean runs it. He does a hell of a job. And we got great content coming on there as well. On that note, have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.